Wayfarer's Chapel is a national memorial to Emanuel Swedenborg and an ecumenical ministry of the Swedenborgian Church based here in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. We seek to nurture the spiritual journey of all wayfarers traveling through life. Our podcast features our weekly sermon and scripture readings. Enjoy. And true, ready or not, here comes Christmas on its way. It's unstoppable. We're in the final, final week here. I'm going to start off with... Um, I guess it's a reflection. How enlightened are you, is the question. If, if you can live without caffeine, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining, come back to that, we gave you some homework last week. <laughs> if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him or her. If you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend. If you can face the world without lies and deceit. If you can conquer tension without medical help. If you can relax without liquor. If you can sleep without the aid of drugs. If you can honestly say that deep in your heart. You have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, gender preference, or politics. Then you have almost reached the same level of spiritual development as your dog. I mentioned that because it was a good follow-up to my homework I assigned last week, which was to try and go a week without complaining. Did anyone succeed? Uh, no? Did anyone make it an hour? Well, I like that one about the dog because dogs are incredible. They give you uh, what's called unconditional positive regard. And uh, I consider Kodiak my uh, golden retriever. An extension of my ministry there, the Garden Church, she's the greeter, and people come in, and other dogs also uh, have, have community there with them. And one little thing that's, that's kind of nice is um, been there for about a year and a half at this point, and you know, being there on a consistent basis, when I'm there and setting things up between you know, 9 and 10 before the gates are open, there's usually a high school class going by, and if they don't see a dog there, they'll shout out, wait, where's your dog? We miss your dog. So he's a good part of that. So yes, uh, the challenge of trying not to complain, it's, um, it's not easy. We always find something to complain about, and we can manufacture things to complain about, the ifs about what might happen. Could be simple as the weather, other drivers, the news, gossip, Politics, news events, and it's so seductive to complain because you're going to get everyone else to join with you. Well, let me tell you, what I'm really, you know, and then you get a whole diatribe on that. But there's a deep spiritual aspect to this, which is simply in order to enter into a space of non-complaining, you have to enter into radical acceptance of what is. Can we do that? 
Is that possible? So I'm going to give an overview of the big picture, what we're celebrating in the bigger sense. And the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ had to come here to earth, it was to begin a complete and multifaceted revolution of consciousness here on the planet, economically, morally, and socially. And that should give us pause at this time of the year as we're thinking about these bigger themes. And I know we all have busy lives and there are lots of things that are trying to get our attention. But as we consider Advent, the coming or the arrival of the Lord into our world, a deeper meaning beneath the surface, we start to see a trend and a larger arc of that unfolding in our civilization within humanity. And hopefully it's starting to bend us more towards divinity. These urgings of the soul are meant to make us more free here on earth, to bind more of that heaven to our earthly vessels. Then we see this theme reflected in our first reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Now, if we're going to do a close reading on that little piece I just reread, it helps us hopefully to get in a better spiritual space for this constant arrival that is. Yes, it took place a couple thousand years ago, and yet it's also fresh and alive and new and relevant in our own lives. We're given a long list for those who needed to hear some good news, especially those who were oppressed, to those with broken hearts, to the captives, to the prisoners. In other words, this theme is of radical spiritual liberation. To those who felt like the walls were closing in around them, like there was no hope, there was no way to escape their circumstances. And as much as that passage celebrates the bringing of what is described in more physical terms to those who were oppressed or captive or prisoners or the brokenhearted, This celebration is ultimately a spiritual liberation, and it can only take place when our soul is liberated in a place where we can feel the active movement of God upon us. So to anyone who's had their heart broken, this is indeed good news. And the heart welcomes that liberation, that healing, to feel whole and, yes, holy once again. The people in mourning are given comfort. They're given garlands instead of ashes. 
and that oil of gladness enters in to replace the ashes of death and destruction and mourning. A mantle of praise enters into the, to replace the faint spirit. And at the conclusion of Isaiah, there's encouragement for simply recognizing when the Lord is upon us, when we feel that spirit. It does require some active participation on our part to simply notice when those moments are there to give it due credit where credit is due. The movement of the Holy Spirit, when we feel the divine proceeding, it's beyond something purely human. It becomes a moment of awareness, of spiritual awakening, and yes, liberation. When we pay attention attentively to the higher realms of consciousness that are always available to us at all times and in all circumstances. Isaiah 61, I will rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And this encouragement is followed up in our second reading in Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Once again, these two first readings, they are encouragement for anyone on a journey. The journey where we all have our wounds, both privately and collectively, the opportunity to turn these tears into shouts of joy. Now, tears are funny things on their own. I'm sure we've all had our moments over the years, but especially tears of mourning. It can be a very cleansing experience to allow those feelings to well up in our heart, to have those tears that are shed. And I did an entire sermon on this about how tears of mourning are chemically different than any other tears. They actually will release some toxicity that's contained within the body in a way that is qualitatively different. Now that's chemistry, it's science, but it's also purely the movement of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that our bodies carry. And tears are kind of a funny thing because after we've had a good cry, we've kind of allowed those emotions to come over us. It feels really incredible. It feels like we've liberated some of those buried emotions. And the funny thing is, tears can also be shed and often are during times of great celebration. Been doing enough weddings here and baptisms and memorials to know those tears of joy flow freely during the moments of life that are most special. They touch us. They move us. Our hearts opened. And we're feeling so much that tears come out. So whether it's mourning, whether it's joy, that paradox is there, and it's in the prophet Isaiah. It's in Psalm 126. That mourning, that process, 
It's alchemical. It's spiritually part of our process to turn what is, on one level, our deepest grief into shouts of joy becomes that fuel for enlightenment. So no matter what our past experience has been, the Lord is always working to bend us and bend whatever our experience is to goodness, using whatever we have as that fuel for spiritual transformation and becomes a gift, a gift that we can then celebrate and put into use in the world. Yes, even and especially those quote-unquote bad times that we all go through at some point in our life. Often, those dark nights of the soul become the most powerful points in our life that change us deeply in a way that if we had not journeyed through those, we would not have the opportunity to really reflect in a deeper way and to see how God is using those moments as seeds of enlightenment, forging us through the pressures of life to forge us like a diamond in the sun. All that pressure creates something spiritual. And that's the point of spiritual surrender. We recognize we're no longer running the show. We never really were, but sometimes we give ourselves the illusion that we can control some things. But in the actual moment of spiritual surrender, when we realize that the best we can do is simply allow that flow of divinity, that divine proceeding to manifest through us somehow, something larger than ourselves is coming through us. That's when we've done the spiritual work. Because the world is calling for more people shining through spiritual transformation to allow that light to come through us all. And God is constantly working on us all to bring something new and fresh into this world. God is calling us all to shine more brightly in the light of Christ. Now the Magnificat is what that passage in Luke is sometimes called. We have to give Mary credit where credit is due. I'm not going to pretend to be a pregnant female with the presence of God inside me. However, there's a lot here to unlock, to unpack, and to kind of get into the sacred mystery. That's also a part of this powerful piece of scripture. The female form is by nature more closely associated with a formless, just simply because we all come to this world through our mothers. The feminine form is that which we all are brought into this world. And it's a, a truly amazing process. And for anyone that's ever witnessed new life coming into this world, it is a miracle happening here on the planet every single day. And the older I get, the more amazing this is, just contemplating how this process works. And that one line of scripture from the Gospel of Luke contains something very powerful, continues to amaze me. It captures the essence of the spirit of Christmas in a way that goes beyond the mundane, the worldly. It enters into the transcendent and eternal. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. It's such an eloquent and sublime statement. That divine reality is working on us in a very real way. For all of us here, hearing these words of scripture from a couple thousand years ago, I invite us all to have fresh ears for what that means to us personally. Because maybe one of the first things might be to dismiss these words as a time of long ago. And we might even be dismissive because it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, of course she felt that way because she was about to give birth to the Messiah, the child of prophecy, the one who would change the very course of human history. So, of course, Mary could feel that way. But that's not the real essence of what we're talking about. For anything that is transcendent and eternal, it's going to be the same as the very first moment it was spoken. The very first moment it was felt and captured in a way that translates thousands of years later. So I always invite people to enter into the scripture, to see how it speaks to each of us presently, keeping it alive. And if we're living out a life in close alignment with what God would have for us and how we would be in the world, then we can start to enter into scripture reading with a, a bit more of ourselves and giving ourselves even permission to allow God to move us and to feel how our soul right now is magnifying the Lord. Can we feel that? Can we enter into scripture in a new way? Simply saying those words aloud can be powerful. And I'm going to give us a short reflection on this called Universal Restoration by Father Richard Rohr, who gets at a similar concept here. He says, Jesus often uses the metaphor of a wedding to describe what God is doing, preparing and drawing us toward deeper intimacy, belonging, and union. The Eastern Fathers of the Church affirmed this belief they called the process of divination or theosis. They saw it as the whole point of the incarnation and the very meaning of salvation. The much more practical and rational church in the West seldom uses the word divination. It was just too daring for us, despite the rather direct teachings from Peter. And Jesus in John's Gospel where he says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, so that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus came to give us the courage to trust and allow our inherent union with God, and he modeled it for us in the world. Union is not merely a place we go to later, if we are good. It is a place of deep goodness that we naturally exist inside of us now. For persons and for creation, transformation must be real and in this world. Paul's most used, used phrase, en Cristo, suggests a shared embodiment, the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians 12, then takes the form of a meal so that we are reminded frequently 
of our core identity. As Augustine preached, we are what we eat, we are what we drink. He continues, I am convinced this development of unitive consciousness is the true second coming of Christ. Our union with God will finally be experienced and enjoyed despite our relentless resistance and denial. When God wins, God wins. God doesn't lose. Apocatastasis, that's the word. Big fancy Latin word. Universal restoration. It has been promised to us in Revelation 3, verse 20. As the real message of the universal Christ, the Alpha and the Omega of all history, it will be a win-win for God and surely for humanity. What else would a divine victory look like? The clear goal and direction of biblical revelation is towards full, mutual indwelling. We see this movement toward union as God walks in the garden with naked Adam and Eve and all the array of creation. The theme finds its shocking climax in the realization that the mystery of Christ within you, your hope of glory, from Colossians 1, verse 27. And as John excitedly puts it, you know him because he is with you and he is in you. The eternal mystery of incarnation will finally have met its mark, and the marriage feast of the Lamb will begin, from Revelation 19.7. History isn't heading toward Armageddon or a, quote, left-behind conclusion. Jesus says, in any number of places, it will be a great wedding banquet. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment with that imagery where Jesus references this many times. It's not an end. It's not a destruction. It's actually a win-win for God where we are entering into this like a wedding feast. It is a radically different vision of how this all works. And this ultimately is an extension of the prophecy and the promise from a couple thousand years ago. Jesus continues to be the revolutionary agent force on our planet presently. Another component of the Magnificat that celebrates the ongoing sacred mystery, continuing from the first incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ to our present moment. The birth of Jesus into our world began a spiritual revolution and a reversal of the values that this world still lives in. Jesus came here to ignite a spiritual fire that could not be stopped, could not be contained, could not be undone, often referenced as that spiritual doorway which can never be shut. The spiritual revolution that continues, that revolutionary Christ consciousness, it's in our times, and it continues to work on the morals, the economics, and our society overall. A revolution of our values. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of our hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. These words from the Magnificat should stir in us something today that is continuing in that revolutionary spirit. Where the material world is still set on values of thousands of years ago in an old way of understanding, where the new spirit values each one another. We see God in each other's eyes. We see the spark of divinity in all who gather. It's also a deep reminder of how interconnected we are to each other and to God. It should also be a reminder as well, if we try and live our lives solely for ourselves, ultimately it's going to be very unsatisfying. God lives where community gathers in his name. That's the beginning of what we're filling, fulfilling in the prophecies, creating more heaven, co-creating more heaven here on earth. When we've had a taste of the sacred, the glimmer and the riches of this world start to lose their luster because nothing can compare to the feeling of being in the presence of the living God and the way that we treat one another with an understanding that that spark of divinity is the same. Anything that's good, anything that's true, ultimately comes from God. So when we celebrate with that and in that together, something shines through us that's beyond us. It's beyond the human. And that continues in that same message that Mary spoke so many years ago. The revolution of morals, of society, and economics. It's not done. And yet each time we celebrate with Mary, that feeling that she felt so deep with the heart of God, we too align ourselves with the new energies emerging through us and even outside of us around this planet. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. May the Lord so help us all in having our souls magnify the Lord together. Amen.